Welcome to a special episode of the Eyes on Jesus podcast. I wanted to bring attention to Dr. Steve Green, who recently went to be with Jesus in early June of 2022. He was recently on this podcast not that long ago, and so I wanted to replay the episode in honor of his passing and also to shed new light on the fact of who he was. So I'm going to include his obituary in the show notes if you want to read that. I got to know Dr. Green through Charisma as I was on that podcasting network for a while, and I really loved his heart for helping people. He would have calls where he would just help podcasters learn more about how to be a great podcaster and a great Christian. And these calls were free. He did it out of the goodness of his heart, and I learned a lot from his wisdom. He was very gracious, and when I reached out to him to come onto the podcast, and also I shared with him my idea for my devotional Eyes on Jesus. I talked to him on the phone. He was really moved, he said, by the Holy Spirit, having heard the concept of it, and he was really willing to give me a recommendation for the book, which is also at the beginning of the devotional, which I'm very grateful for. His passing is just a reminder of the shortness of life and how anything that we do in this life for Jesus will last, everything else will fade away. And so also a reminder, if you're listening, you don't have that hope of eternity, you don't have that knowledge of Jesus in your life and have not committed to him, Today is the day of salvation. If you want to reach out to me, I can walk you through what that entails. I know Dr. Green would love that as well. So with all that said, here's a replay of my episode with Dr. Steve Green. Welcome to the podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Steve Green. Dr. Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. He is a nationally known speaker and trainer in the fields of marketing and leadership. He's been married to his wife, Annette, for over 48 years, and they have two children and three grandchildren. Dr. Green, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Tim. Even better now that I get to be on your show. I'm sure honored. I don't know. You might be scraping the bottom of the barrel to get me on. Oh, my goodness. No way. My, the honor's on mine, and uh, I've known you for a little bit. We've talked before, and it's great to hear uh, your seminars where you teach podcasters how to grow. You have a lot of leadership knowledge. You have an amazing book called Love Leads. We'll talk about that as well as a podcast, Green Lines. And so you're doing a lot and you've had uh, a lot of leadership knowledge and um, leadership's a passion of mine too, growing up in, uh, you know, working in the business field. And now I get to do ministry full-time. So I'm excited to talk to you about both leadership in the secular, non-secular spectrums and how we can be better leaders for God's glory. So anything else in your bio you want to let our audience know about you? No, I'm just, I, I don't mind telling people I'm 68. Uh, I'm enjoying my grandkids. I want to enjoy them more. I want to spend more time with them. Sort of semi-retired. Love to play golf, but I continue to write and podcast and uh, very happy about the fact that I really don't have any intention of slowing down much. I want to slow down some, yeah. uh, but I'm going to really keep active, keep writing and uh, keep leading, doing doing whatever it is the Lord wants me to do. Yeah, that's great. So tell us about uh, growing up for you. You know, when did you become a Christian and how did you get involved in ministry? Well, uh, I had a grandmother, Lois. That wasn't her name, but uh, she was the one in the family who prayed for me. Mm. Uh, eventually led to a meeting with Charles Green at Word of Faith in New Orleans. And he prophesied over me. I, I was just visiting there. I was singing in the choir from a high school, sat next to his son, Michael Green, who's a pastor in New Orleans. He had a lot of influence on me. 
And at 19, I just gotten married and uh, someone actually asked me to accept the Lord as my savior. And I was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and really haven't looked back since 19 years old. That's great. And you worked a lot. You worked in the business world. And then when did you yes. start working in ministry and, and doing what kind of what you do now? When, when was that trajectory moving towards that? I was pretty well. I got right involved at a young age with worship leading. We didn't call it that. We call it song leader. <laughs> and uh, so I did a lot of that. Did Because uh, I sang in choir in high school and was a soloist in that. So I felt like I needed to be singing. And other people didn't necessarily agree with that. But that was back then. But I, I had a really good experience with that. Uh, I was called to be a teacher. It took me a while to figure it out. Around 27, 28, I was bound and determined I was going to be a marketer, businessman. I was raised by a marketer, so I had a, I, I knew it, I knew it in me, but I still wanted to try my hand at marketing, I mean, at, at music. And so I got to this place where I realized that I needed to be teaching. So I taught more in the churches as early as 23, 24. I was an assistant pastor, associate pastor. Uh, be, sometimes I preached both services. Sometimes I preached one. I was doing a lot of teaching and preaching. Did a lot of work with young married since we were a lot of ministry that way. And just grew, stayed in the church. Eventually I was associate pastor, always as a layman. Even uh, when I moved to Tulsa to uh, work with a franchise system, a food franchise system, I started teaching at ORU as a part-time teacher. I just taught one semester part-time. And uh, before that, I had started a church. I actually had taken over a church that was something else and sort of disbanding, and I just kind of grabbed it and just started teaching, just thinking I would just teach sort of a Sunday school kind of approach. And then one thing led to another, and we had a church. I became the dean of the College of Business at ORU and pastored for 10 years. And when I left Tulsa to come to Florida to work with Charisma Magazine, I gave up my church to somebody that was there in the church. As I left ORU, I left my church very, very hard. Both were, Lord, do you know what you're doing here? (laughs) Because I knew I was called. I I never really rebuked the call. I just said, we just bought our dream house. We're happy. I'm well known in the community. I've done everything you've asked me to do, and now you're moving me. And I didn't really regret it. I wasn't mad at God about it. I just said, man, this is like nice. And I love my church. I love my people. And I love being a dean at ORU. And uh, God had other plans for me to move on. And I've been here seven years and uh, just retired essentially last Friday. Awesome. Congrats. And uh, for the podcast network. I'm so yeah. And charisma has grown so much. I'm sure you've seen it since you started there and in, in the podcast uh, realm now, which they didn't, you know, I don't know, that's probably, you know, 10 years old compared to what it used to be. So we're only seven years old. The podcast network is actually six. Oh, wow. Yeah. We started a little bit after I got there. How have you seen technology just grown in a way that allows us to spread the the message of God's God's kingdom? I'll tell you what, the the COVID virus helped us a lot Mm. because with COVID came Zoom, the way you and I are talking today. Yeah. I think we'll look back at that era, even though we're going to look at it in a lot of ways, but we're going to look at the great technological leaps we made so that we could connect, so that we could teach kids, so that churches could minister, so that you and I could talk about whatever we need to talk about. Yeah. And there are other platforms that are as good or maybe even better than Zoom. But Zoom became a word for the pandemic. Yeah. Without yeah. Zoom, I don't know how any of us would have got through it or how churches would have stayed in business or how relationships would have grown. I mean, we were talking to people in small groups with Zoom. Yeah. And 
just everybody would just had a cube and we talked and felt like it was pretty good. In fact, a lot of us think it was better. <laughs> we could come and go like we needed to or whatever. I, there's nothing like the fellowship. Hebrews is still right to not forsake the fellowship of the believers. Don't sure. don't stop doing that. But we didn't really stop fellowshipping. But fellowshipping probably includes breaking of bread and you got to eat some cake and drink some coffee and yeah. eat some crackers. You know, you still got to do a little bit of that and lay hands on people, sing with a guitar and, uh, you know, have that in-home experience that you just can't beat. And churches are going to rebuild and they are, they're doing fine. And we're keeping those people that we didn't have before the pandemic. And I think Zoom's largely the way that people are connecting. Maybe other, you know, everybody's got a good platform. Zoom just kind of became, I think, the platform of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it really is kind of a blessing in disguise amid such chaos and, and crisis. There is a, a blessing to be had when you can spread God's kingdom in a way that you never could uh, 10 plus right. years ago. And so we have to look at the, the blessings of it as well. And, and also, what is our part? What is our part in spreading that through platforms? Maybe God has putting on someone's heart who's listening that, hey, I need to start something. And you can start... Right as long as God's leading you, it doesn't really matter what it is or how big the platform gets. If you're spreading what God wants you to do and you're obedient in it, that is all that matters. And the results are left up to God. So. Well said brother. And I think it's just, uh, we grew, uh, we subtracted, we detracted a little bit, but it, anytime you, you do a little editing, you know, a little cutting, yeah. uh, clipping of a plant, uh, all of a sudden growth comes from it. Yeah. And, you know, we grew in ways that none of us saw coming. Uh, not sure any of us are really happy with the change. Really? You know, I mean, I like church like it was. <laughs> and again, I'm old. So I do like church the way it was. And I miss what we had. Yeah. And I'm still very uncomfortable being in a crowd of sitting real close together and singing. I won't go into the politics of, of all of it. But it's just, it's not the spirit of the Lord that I'm afraid of. It's just whatever else is that people are bringing into the room yeah. and uh, still, still not healthy out there. And while I want to encourage everybody to get to church that, you know, I went through a heart attack and I have, I've got a heart issue. So I don't want to just test the Lord with my heart. Right, you know? right. so I'm yeah. like, hey. And I'm still, obviously I'm, I'm in church every single day. I podcast every day. I get to talk with people like you and I really feel the presence of the Lord and the anointing upon what I'm doing and don't feel I've got any lack in my life. Yeah, I do miss hanging out in the lobby and doing the things you do, standing at cars for another hour or maybe going out to eat lunch, but we'll get that back. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And it kind of leads into what I'm talking about in season three is roadblocks relating to discernment when you're making a decision. And I wanted to bring this up because, you know, if we feel like we're making the right decision or God's leading us down a path, we sometimes think that, oh, just because I made the right decision, everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be, you know, carefree. And that's not how it works. You know, God wants us to stick on the path, even if it's the narrow road that's bumpy. He wants us to stick and, and persevere, even if we are making the right decision. So can you think about a time in your life when you made the decision God was leading you towards, but there was roadblocks that you kind of had to persevere through? Well, I'm going through one now. You know what? I don't know that I've ever made a decision that I didn't see some kind of block. Yeah, that yeah. sort of goes with it. It's it's easier to say uh, if I I can't remember one where I didn't have some type of block. Leaving that church, leaving Tulsa, there were a lot of blocks, yeah. but no closed doors. There's a difference. Right. Roadblocks are going to come up because of life, because you know 
the law of physics. If you put a, a car full of metal through brick, you're probably going to have some after effects. Yeah. That roadblock is going to speak to you. There are things that just sometimes happen because of laws of nature. There are tornadoes, there are hurricanes, there are things that God made for reasons, but he didn't throw them at me to, sure. to roadblock me. It's just, here's some of this. How's this working out for you? Not not to hurt me or to harm me, but to love me and to grow me. And, you know, I think there's spiritual warfare as well, especially yeah. when I'm in the presence of the Lord. I get real nervous when everything is too easy. <laughs> you know, I, I know that as God, and I know I'm in favor, yeah. and I don't think I'm out of favor when I've got a roadblock. Right. I just right. think, well, here's another time to grow. And as I'm going through this transition, been a lot of blocks, been a lot of issues. But as I'm getting through each one and getting them done, like we're in a house full of uh, boxes right now because we're going to move, get closer to grandkids. You can see the empty shelves behind me. I, I don't ever sit in a room with empty shelves. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of books and I want them out. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, those that's a blocker of some kind, you know, that's keeping me from getting home to my kids, going through all the details of selling the house, packing the moving van. That's not fun. And I'm pretty sure it's an attack of the devil that I got to go through a moving van. Yeah. You know, I just wish that the Lord could pick me up and move me because I'm tired of it after 68 and all the moves that the Lord has put me through. I'm well experienced in uh, hearing God moving, uh, moving from a university to another university, hearing God's voice, and then uh, responding to what he, what's there. Just the newness, the, like a pastor walking into a new church, uh, God sent him probably, probably not, or her, yeah. probably not much, much of a challenge with that. But that church uh, is without a pastor for a reason. There are things that need to be changed, corrected, come up higher. They're, they, I'm not saying that they fired their pastor or the pastor quit, but the change was of God. And if he brought someone new in, there's probably a reason that uh, there's going to be some things that people in the church aren't going to be ready for in that change. So there's your blocks, yeah. people on the front row. You know, looking at you with their arms folded saying, this ain't how we do things here. <laughs> I, mean, I hear it in secular and I hear it in church and I hear it in organizations and, you know, everyone in the country club, everyone's saying, well, that's not how we do things. Yeah. And yet God's saying it's not how I do things either. So I have some of this. Yeah, that, that's a good point on how, you know, when you experience a roadblock, take it as a sign that you're doing something right. Sometimes, you know, where, where you're, you're focused on where God is going and not where you are at. And if your eyes are on that roadblock and not on Jesus, you're going to be focused on all the things that aren't going right instead of where God is leading you. And that's why, you know, I wrote my devotional eyes on Jesus because we have to keep our eyes on Jesus every day. And I want to thank you for the recommendation that's in the book for the, Powerful the, the book. devotional. And so I, I really hope people can get it in their hands, but it's one of the things where I'm asking everyone to, you know, what are some things that you do practically? Cause I think we can all learn from each other in our own routines. Even if we don't implement things exactly, we can also kind of glean from wisdom that's out there. What are some things that helps you keep your eyes on Jesus each and every day? Okay. That's a, a great question. There's a lot of power behind that, a lot of thinking and so many different ways to answer it. But one thing I, I try not to do is question the Lord. Mm. That seems to slow down the process. Yeah. When I say, I see it, Lord, I, I know it's of you. I know you called me here. I know who I am in Christ. So this must be for me. And so I'll pray into it. It's almost like you're taught as a, an athlete to run into the opposition you know, to run to the line. Yeah. And uh, if you're running for your life, if you're in fear 
and getting hit, you're gonna get smacked hard. But if you're running into it and you're you know you're doing what you do uh, in an athletic way, you're probably doing exactly what we've got to do spiritually is run right toward it and not from it. Yeah. I try to tell my team all the time is run to the woodshed, not away from it. If I need correction, can we get this out of the way now? Sure. You know that's what I'd say to my dad or my dad say just just wait a few hours. I'll I'll get around to you. Those were the worst hours of my life. Right. Waiting for the woodshed experience, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and in all cases, spiritually, where there is spiritual correction coming or a spiritual adjustment in the place that I'm in, it's not personal. Don't think so highly of yourself to think that everything that's going on is for you personally. It's for the atmosphere. It's for the room. It's for the church. Mm. It's to cause growth. And sometimes the change agent is the discomforter. You know, and it encourages people to bring down the comforter and get, find it. But change is going to hurt everyone. It's, it's going to cause discomfort for sure. And so one of the things I want to do is to move to, once I know, and I've prayed and I've heard the Lord, to not question it, but to go. Yeah. That if I've got the vision, and I define vision as anything that makes me cry, I look at it and I see the opportunity to change it. It really makes me sad. Mm. And, I, and I feel like I know how to do it. Yeah, that's vision. And so as I launch my vision statement and my new assignment, and I, I have that vision, then I can expect that there'll be five or four opportunities to uh, shake, rattle and roll my way yeah. around the obstacle, because it's probably secular, right? Because God's not trying to hinder me, because he called me, chose me, gifted me, told me you got what I need done here, go do it, be you, use your gifts. Don't try to use the gifts of the guy that was there before you. He did. He ain't there now. That's right. Go in and do what you're taught to do. Listen, get feedback, have your interviews, listen to people, have the, have them for lunch, go to their homes, have them in your home. Just do what you have to do to get to know people and to love on them. And uh, once you see it and you know what has to be done, then move on it. If you look at the New Testament, there was so much action. You know, what is yeah. it? It's the book of Mark that's filled with immediately. Yeah. You know, and people skip right over that word because it's just one of those adverb words that we could do without. <laughs> but it's a very intentional word in that gospel because it was filled. You know, while we get the physicians look at it in Luke, we get that immediacy of young Mark who just got after it. And both are pleasing to the Lord. Waiting upon the Lord is, is pleasing. But when you've waited upon the Lord and you know what to do, don't gather any moss. Get about it. Be immediate. Start. Yeah, yeah. And that is not universal but there's a time for both. And so that's, I tend to be a quick decision maker mm. once I know that I know. Right. And, you know, I've had a lifetime of reading, studying, experiencing. I'm not fresh off the turnip truck. And so if God sends me in, then he wants me to do what I do. Yeah. And not what everybody else did already. Because that's, that's an absolute recipe for a hard, hard season. Yeah. I want to, I want to get to the change. That's good because a lot of times we can talk ourselves out of moving forward because it's not lined up perfectly. But what decision is ever lined up perfectly? You have to move forward yeah. in sometimes the chaos, in sometimes the the disturbance, because like you're saying, move towards the opposition because Satan's going to discourage you. He's going to tell you why it won't work, yeah. why you're not qualified, why your past, you know, unqualifies Great. you. And God says, I've chosen you. 
And I love how you said, if, if God's given you a passion for something, you know, it's for you, you know, that God is equipping you. He's given you a passion that maybe no one else has in your immediate area for that thing, then go do it. Stop talking yourself out of it. Stop right. going to the pastor and telling him he needs to do it. Stop going to uh, your prayer closet and praying the obstacle away, move towards the obstacle because God will give you in the strength. Once your feet hit the ground, because if we just stay in our, in our rooms, waiting for God to do it, he uses our hands and feet to accomplish his work on this world. And so we have to move forward in that faith. And then God will show up. It says, you know, when, when we, when you go and make disciples, it says, when you go, I will be with you. Not when you yes. wait, I will be with you. It's when you are out and moving. And I think Francis Chan talked about this recently too. It's when yes, you're moving, then I will be with you. And that's so powerful. When we talk about the great commission, we talk about our, our commission, which is to, to go and do uh, you know, ministry. Even if you're not in full-time ministry, there's always something that we can do to further the kingdom. Well, if you're called into that place and you know that you know that you've heard the Lord and you've prayed and you've sought him, then you have exactly the gifts you need to move the place, move wherever you are into the place God wants it. That's right. It's out of order. It's vibrated out of alignment. You're the alignment maker. You're yeah. coming in to align it and to get it right. And it won't happen in three days, three weeks, or maybe a year or two. It takes time. And uh, that that famous leadership mantra, trust me, I've been called, you know, and, and I know how to do it. I know the pacing that this church can handle. Yeah. And that the Lord has kind of told me this before that. There's an order to things. You know, again, read the New Testament. Stay very clear to how churches grew and were grown by their leadership. Yeah. It was small steps for some of them, bigger steps for others. But uh, God's timing was always perfect. That's what you can count on. And sometimes when I expect results too quick, I get in trouble, right? Yeah. That exactly. I want speed rather than change. Yeah. Sometimes the, the change is immediate. I know when I prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, things begin to change in my life very quickly. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Speaking of leadership, I do want to talk about your book, Love Leads. You say in it that loving leadership does not deny the truth, but it uses truth-telling to bring growth and not pain. So we don't shy away from the truth. What do you say to leaders who are afraid to love and show kindness because they may come across as soft and risk a deterioration in the results? And I can speak personally this growing up or, you know, working in retail so, you know, so long in my life as a manager and being in such a fast paced environment. A lot of times I would prioritize productivity over relationship building because it's just go, 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 get it done. But what is the benefit of actually using love as the first step? growing relationships, and then the productivity will come. You will not have influence without a lot of love. Yeah. You can kid yourself into thinking you're influencing. And that's why I tell leaders often, turn around every now and then and see if anybody's following you. And I might have read that from... Uh, Maxwell. Yeah, John Maxwell. I don't even have any <laughs> doubt that he said it. About everything I learned, I learned at his feet pretty much. But then again, with my my experience and my years of messing things up and learning from it. So obviously I've been told many times by people of this book that have read the book and that saw the title and said, 
you know, that book's not for me because you, you're just going to come across weak that mm-hmm. people who are weak aren't, do not lead. Wow. You know, they're just, they're trying to win a popularity contest. I think you could go behind me to any place I've been and know that I would not have won a popularity contest, but that I was respected. I had influence. And then if I said something to someone, I did it. I kept my word. I did what I said I would do. But I, at no point did I want to become the kind of leader that leaves, leaves people injured in his path, that bangs a table, that yells and screams, the roar of a lion. I wrote a lot about it in the book. And many pastors who bothered to actually read it felt like it, it really spoke to them and taught them how to love and lead. And so the very first thing you do, it's relationship comes before correction. I have to earn the right to correct you. Sure. I've got to model it first. They got to see it. Yeah. Have to see it in me. Have to see consistency in me. Have to we'll see what young people want today more than anything else is transparency. They want if you're real and you're flawed, you're imperfect. You're going to have a lot better opportunity to lead that room and get what you want to get and get them to that high productivity state because of your relationship. Yeah. But if all you do is yell, all you have in your future is louder yelling. Mm-hmm. And you eventually get to that place where all you can do is whisper and hope somebody hears you because right. you're all out of volume. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's as bad as it's always been, you know, that you, that I grew up with, that that was just the way leaders led. They banged the table and said, if you can't do it, I'll get somebody that can. Yeah. And I just won't submit to that kind of leadership anymore. It's out there, but I, I don't want a part of it. And I don't yeah. think anybody does because there are better ways of getting done what needs to get done. You'll get it done quicker. You'll get it done with uh, more respect and influence and honor. And you'll glorify God because Jesus said, you know, above all, you got to love others as you love yourself. And so as you want to be treated, treat people that way. But the golden rule is very, very tough on leaders because we all think the golden rule is do as to others how you want them to do to you. That may be the follower's rule, but it's not the leader's rule. Mm. The, the leader's rule, in my opinion, and I believe that Jesus taught it and, and gave examples of it, do better than anyone does to you. Treat people better than you've ever been treated yeah, and yeah. do what no one else is doing. Treat people the way no one else in the building is treating people. That's the leader's version of the golden rule. It's got to be better than what everybody else is doing. I don't want to lead like anyone else because Jesus didn't live like anyone else. And he didn't lead like anyone else. Right. I'm not saying I come anywhere near the leadership of the Lord, but I know what I'm trying to do. And I know when I failed, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I want to lead better and I correct myself or the Lord helps me to get corrected. But I think that's the, it's really hard to give a textbook answer on this, but you have to work it out. But I'll tell you what, you will never fail in in an organization if you develop relationships, if you create influence. How do you keep influence? You do what you say you're going to do. You have integrity. Yeah. And I think there's both sides of the spectrum. There's there's the leader that leads with domineering and, uh, you know, intimidation. And then the other end, and I've worked with some leaders like this, is they lead charismatically, but then there's no substance to it. And yeah, uh, one, of, one of my bosses told me an example, and he's like, you know, you may love to be around them, but when it comes time to being in the trenches with them, <laughs> they're not around. And so there's, there's people that will high five you say, yeah, great job. But then when it comes time to either leading by example or going through the tough times with you, then they kind of cave and then their true colors come out. And I think we, there's a good balance between, 
you know, having that authority you have as a leader and saying, hey, this is where we're going, come follow me, but also showing love and respect and relationship by caring about their needs and reaching out. And uh, I was wondering, you know, what do you think about when we have to tackle those tough problems, those people that we have to have those conversations that no one wants to have, but a good leader will have it? How do we do in a way, you know, whether it's about their productivity, or maybe it's a church member that's causing disruption, or, you know, a bunch of different examples, but how do we handle those tough conversations without condemning them or asserting our authority in a way that is not loving? Well, I've got an answer. I wrote about it in the book, obviously, and uh, I believe that I try to find that I don't carry pom-poms with me to go down the hall and lead people. I don't lead with pom-poms, yeah. nor do I lead with sticks. You know, I lead with love and love corrects. Mm-hmm. It, it does a lot of things, but here's the correction method that is good for me. Remember that managers make statements, leaders ask questions. Mm. So a manager is going to bell, bellow. Right. If you're a leader, you're going to ask a question like, what needs to happen? Do you see, what do you see out there in the restaurant? What, do, what are you looking at out there? He said, I see a lot of tables that are, uh, that haven't been bust. They got a lot of trash. I said, really, is that our manual? Is that our standard of excellence? No, sir, it isn't. What, what do you think we should do about it? He said, well, I think I need to go out there and get it. It's, uh, it's something I need to do. I said, great. And then I walk away. Mm. You know, there's all the correction that was ever needed was right there. It was very firm. What do you see? What needs to happen? Instead of, Billy, get out there and get that table clean. How many times I got to tell you? What's the manual say about that? That guy doesn't want to go clean the table any more than he ever did. But when it was his idea, I planted it by the manual. I taught. They've been through training classes. Mainly, a lot of good-hearted people just need influ- to be influenced, to be reminded, to, to have that, oh, golly, I missed it moment. Yeah. And, you know, there comes another time when you do uh, uh, coaching in private. Because yeah. when I coach in private, I coach back to the goals. You coach to goals, you praise in public, you correct in private. And sometimes that correction uh, will always be loving. It'll always be kind. It'll never be loud. It will always be full of questions and, you know, I'll document it. I'll put it in their file yeah. and say, you know, I'm going to make note of our, the questions I asked you and your answers. And then hopefully we won't have to like have another session and review that we already talked about this because yeah. we can't keep talking about it forever. Can we, right. you know, we've got to make changes. We've got to run our business. Do you agree? And I, at no time did I threaten their job. They didn't feel threatened. They just felt like, man, I got to do what I said I'm going to do here. Do you live a life as a person? This is what I'm asking of where you do what you, do you want to be known as someone who does what he says he's going to do? Yeah. And most, hardly no one says no to that. Right. And so when you get it back to a personal level of you're here, do you, do you cash your paychecks pretty good on time? Does that work out for you? <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to be able to go out into my dining room and sit without having a dirty table. Do, right. do you think we can get there? Not, do you think you can make that happen? Right. There's a big difference. So we get skilled at asking questions. Questions are the powerful tools that leaders use. Look at, go through the New Testament sometimes and, and count all the red letters and how many times Jesus asked questions without making a statement. Mm. One of the most famous, who do you say I am? Who do they say I am? And then, hey, Peter, what do you think? Who do you think I am? That's good. It he didn't so say, easy for him to just say, tell everybody you know who I am. Yeah. You wanted you know, them to that, figure it out. <laughs> I've had that leader who says, do you know who I am? Oh yeah. You know, we've all had them. I've had them throughout my life. I've had it when I was young. I've had it 
other times when, so you don't make a big deal about it. You don't fuss. You just get to that place where if I'm throwing a fit, I am showing that I have no leadership skills. Right. I've lost it. I've lost my ability to maintain control. So I'm DQ'd as a leader. I've got to stay in control, more in control than the ones in front of me. Yeah. Because this is a teaching moment, not a bust your chops moment. Right. And when I was a young leader, I was much more of a micromanager. And I learned quickly that in order to empower your team and train them, you have to enable them to to come up with solutions on their own. Because if I just tell them all the solutions, if I'm, if I micromanage the process, not only will I not have peace, but they won't have peace because I'm over their shoulder and no one likes to be micromanaged. And you have to be okay with giving them some authority to complete the work where it may not be a hundred percent like you would have done it, but it also got the job done. Because if it gets the job done, it really doesn't matter if it's 90% of what you would have done. They are more empowered to do it. And then you can be more hands-off in their life and just kind of follow up and say, hey, that looks great. Maybe change this one thing here, but I really appreciate you taking the, you know, the action to get it done. And I think that leaders that incorporate that will find much more peace in their own life and their own leadership. And plus they can focus on the things that only they can do because every leader has like five to 10% of things that only they can do. And so you have to be able to delegate the other parts that you don't necessarily have to do, but you can then follow up on later. Well, Tim, it gets worse because if you're micromanaging and you're minoring on the, what I call majoring on the minors, because yeah. usually micromanaging is majoring on the minor. Yep. Then now as a leader, you're not able to have the time left over to do your calling to major on the majors you end up minoring on the major, majoring on the minors. And that happens with guys that are micro-oriented. You'll get to it. You'll get to it by your training, by your programming, by how you observe and who gets the praise in the building. It, it's going to be the people that are getting the majors done. They're getting the big things done. And ultimately, that's what we want is 80-20. You know, we don't expect 100% because we're fooling ourselves if we expect that. So in our reasonable leadership, I've got to make sure that my leaders have time to lead and they have to produce too. They've got their function, functional areas that they've got to perform in. And if I, if they're down in the weeds, I've got to lead them out of the weeds and into the top of the mountain because that's where I need them. Yeah. And ask your team, ask them, you know, a good leader always solicits feedback. You know, the another Maxwell book, the 360 degree leader, you know, ask the people that you're leading, the people that you're peers with and the people that are above you, how you are doing. And if you're open to that, you're going to see where you need to course correct. And the, the leaders that are prideful that say that they, they have nothing to change, that doing everything perfect are sure enough leading down a path of destruction because your people are usually crying out silently when there are things that need to be changed. And unless you open up the lines of communication, and I think that is a big part of love. If I love my wife, I'm going to want to know what she has to say. If I love my children, I'm going to hear their heart. And as a leader, if we love our employees, you know, if we love the people that we're working with, we're going to want to hear what's on their heart and also get feedback from them. It doesn't mean you have to do everything they have to say, but it also means you, there might be something that you could avoid down the, uh, down the road, a roadblock that might come up by ignoring an issue that snowballs like a snowball down a hill that gets bigger and bigger until it crashes into a house. So well said, brother. Yeah. Well, I want to move on. Uh, the last little bit that we have here is uh, moving on to revival. This is a passion of yours, something we hear a lot about today. And you wrote an article in Charisma Magazine that said a religious spirit is the number one enemy of revival. And that really hit me hard because I, I've been feeling the same thing, you know, as we see the church coming out of a year like 2020 move towards, you know, either leaving the church, moving down a road of complacency. And then you have the, a remnant, I believe, who are on fire, who are burning brighter than ever, who are really 
pioneering that revival that we need to see happen in America and abroad. So talk more about the, how we identify a religious spirit. And it's so easy to identify it in others, but how do we know when we have it and maybe our church and ministry and how to avoid it? Let me just start with me, how I know I've gotten a religious spirit. If when somebody does something, it bothers me mm. that I'm looking at it as, and, and usually it's something that is not some of the big things that Jesus says that we should be doing. Yeah. You know, it's something that, uh, what the disciples called it was a table matter versus vision. Like was what this thing is, does it affect vision or preferences? You know what? We're, our churches are run by preferences of people. Right. You know, well, I like it when we sing, I prefer this song or this order, or we haven't sung the way I prefer to sing. And <laughs> it doesn't come necessarily that strong, but it's there. Yeah. That's a religious spirit. So it, does this affect the vision that Jesus cast upon us to go and make disciples? Is this disciple making or is it disciple breaking? And so to lead revival, it, it really, in Mark Batterson's term, you know, be a circle maker and let it begin with me. First of all, let me model the, the absolute beginning of a revival is love for one another and speak words of life to everyone in my supergroup. You know, in my yeah. my Thursday night study group or my Sunday morning Bible study group, whoever that group is, that they they would say of me more than they say of anything else, that man loves us. Yeah. You know, when we are known by our love, literally. I mean, I'm not. I'm trying to not be mamby pamby or rose colored glasses here. I think that's how you make a revival. Obviously, my prayer life gets better, my Bible study life gets better. If all if those two things happen, I'm going to love better. I'm going to spend more time with people that I love and not more time away from them. I'll, I'll be looking for opportunities to go to the uh, function, to the thing, to the circle making. Yeah. You know, Mark Batterson teach, teaches it so well in, in his classic book, Circle Maker, taught it so well, wrote it so well, so many great stories that I've just tried to work on the circle that I'm in yeah. and broaden it out, be accepting of everyone, just doing the love part, just love. And and I'm telling you, that's the greatest revival maker. Mm-hmm. You want to make friends. You want to have not not a politician's kind of handshake, but a a Christ-like kind of handshake in looking in their eyes and know, like going up to someone in the produce aisle and asking a question. Like you look like you're having a rough day. Can I pray with you? Just yeah. something that innocent. I didn't break out the Roman road and beat him up with it. <laughs> and be, become religious about it. Right. I just said, I just, you just look like you could use a prayer. Yeah. Did I read you wrong? Does that happen? Yeah. But most of the time people just say either I'm good. I'm all right. Or my goodness, how'd you know? Mm. So I think that's it in church, in uh, the highways and the byways when we're out and about uh, more love, more absolutely experiencing it, giving it, giving it, get, dying to self and loving everybody friends, foes, whoever that I've had struggled to learn to forgive, yeah. uh, forgive by loving. Uh, doesn't mean I got to have lunch with them, right. but I've forgiven them and I love them and I pray for them and I ask God to give them favor. That's R.T. Kendall's book mm. uh, on uh, total forgiveness. That his probably his number one book, mm. total forgiveness. Not sure I ever understood it until I read that book. Wow. So brother, I, it's a little longer answer than you probably wanted from me. No, that's great. I, I think revival begins with you and I loving each other, man. That's just it. You and I together in a, a spiritually loving relationship, we can change the world. That's so good. And I've learned that too. You know, it's easy to pray 
for revival. God, do it over there. But hey, do it in my life. Do it in my circle. Do it with me first, because that's how revival starts, like wildfire. Uh, I had Jessica Green on the podcast, too, and she has a book called Wildfires, because that's really how revival starts is through us. And Mark has been on the show, too. And uh, I love his book. And I love his just practical steps of habit formation and certain the circle maker. Such and, a clear speaker. I love that, man. So great. So great. And, and uh, I think too often we get concerned with things that are outside of our circle. And I think as many benefits of social media and interconnectivity, there's also some negatives is where we say, oh, we, you know, we start condemning Christians that aren't even in our same state where we're like, oh, I can't believe that church is doing that. I'm going to leave a comment and tell them how I feel. Well, there's no love in that, first of all. And second of all, what is God calling you to do specifically? You, you don't know the call of someone else's life. It wasn't a conference call when God had it with them. So don't act like you were involved. And so I would say it's really important for us to think about the love we have uh, on social media, in our own circle, and think before we speak. I tell my son that, you know, and it's, it's, it's just as appropriate as it is when you are 12 as it is when you are 80, because our words have power. And when we start condemning people that we don't know or don't have relationship or don't have a seat at the table for, we are not showing the love of Christ. And uh, I think it's really important to remember that because it's easy to condemn on what I call the convictions. You know, everyone has their own convictions about things. And I, I, every single holiday, when I post about Christmas, there's always somebody who snuck in my friend group on Facebook who starts saying, well, that's a pagan holiday. How can you celebrate that? And that kind of condemnation from someone I don't know is, is the, where people get turned off to the church. And so we have to remember that is that you need truth and love. You know, it's not just about spreading truth because truth without love becomes hard and love without truth becomes soft. And I forgot who said that, but someone wiser than me said that. And so uh, we have to make sure that we are spreading that love, which will lead to revival within our lives, our family, our churches, and that will spread like wildfire. Again, well said. Wildfire is a great book. It's a great concept. I just have to, I'm not trying to start the fire. Firefighting is not, I'm not going around with a lighter. Yeah. Just love. Right. Yeah, because I can think about that. If I try to start a fire, I become objectified. I become a, a list that I'm trying to make and I start getting antsy and start trying to do it. Yeah. Just do love. And and I, I don't want to try to minimize it, but it isn't maximized. Mm. We haven't come close to really doing it as a way of lifestyle as opposed to, well, I got to go to this meeting. I, you know, I need to be spending time with my 12-year-old, but I got to go do this meeting where, you know, I'm giving up time with my kid when I should be this. And now we start being, we get real close to religiosity. Yeah. We get real close. To, I've got to go do that when I should be a dad, love my son better. So at least I've created a lover in my home that goes out and knows how to treat a woman. Yeah. You know, and he's been taught to be a man and he, he knows how to raise his son. Now, now we're starting something. Starts in the home, doesn't it? Love leads begins in the home. And I teach that. That it's, everybody says it's a leadership book. I don't want to read it. That, wait a minute. You don't lead in your home? You don't, you don't have that? Or you don't lead people to Christ? Yeah. That there's a whole lot of people that are told that their job is to go out and lead people to Christ. It'd be a pretty good idea if you read a leadership book. Yeah. And you did everything you could to understand how to do that. Love them. Love leads. Yeah. That's great. Love that. I'll put a link in the show notes to that book. Let everyone know, Dr. Green, where they can connect with you and get your great resources. That's great, brother. Just uh, my email is doc, steve at drstevegreen.com. I've got an E on the end of green. So G-R-E-E-N-E. Steve at drstevegreen.com. You might enjoy looking at greenlines.com. Greenlines.com. Again, spell green with an E. 
Uh, that's where you'll find my podcast. You'll find every newsletter I write. I, I blog on it. It's a great way to connect with me, and I'd love to hear from you. I'll write back to you, uh, especially if you send it to my email address. And uh, if we could develop a loving relationship, I'm all for it because together we can do a lot. Love that. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. I would encourage everyone to check out your book and your resources and your podcast. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you, brother. I, I really pray for God's blessing on you. You're a young, on-fire man that knows what he's doing. You know who you are. You know where you're going. You're off to a great start. You're more more than a beginner. You're well down the road, and uh, you're doing good work. Uh, don't come down off that wall. All, all right. right. I received that. Thank you so much. All right. God bless I you. God bless.